Appamata and its programs are supported by your generosity and your generosity and support makes such a difference. You can find a link for contributions on the website at appamata.org. Thank you. Good morning. Thank you all for being here on this weird time day for the United States. <laughs> I'm very happy for the opportunity to, to speak and hopefully share some encouragement about our practice. But first I wanted to tell a story that I just recently heard from a, a teacher that I was listening to online about bowing. And she was describing that she had been in a situation where she was speaking at the same event as the Dalai Lama. And so she and the Dalai Lama and his retinue all came in at the same time. And um, he came up to the stage and he began doing full prostrations, full bows down to the ground to his seat. And it's not something he usually does evidently. And his attendant said, what are you doing? And the Dalai Lama said, this is the Buddha's seat. This is not my seat. This is the Buddha's seat. And the teacher that was telling the story was saying how when you give a talk, you um, can sort of rest in that, but at the same time, you really feel that. You really feel that no, no person can really fill that seat. So everything I say is just sort of a mistake. <laughs> but you have to say something anyway. So here we are doing the best we can. So this talk will be about hindrances in our practice, to our practice, or our practice with what we conceive of as hindrances. For me, these are habits of thought and feeling, reactions, ingrained ways of being that seem to stand in the way of my aspiration of a life in harmony of compassion. I think of them sometimes as great boulders rocks the size of cars and refrigerators that are scattered in a dry creek bed brought to rest there by some cataclysmic immediate flood or inched slowly along by long years of gentle rain and snow they're hard to walk around anyone who's been hiking in a canyon knows the scrabbles over and long backtracks around these obstacles, trying to move forward on a path. My story is about my desire to be special. This is a particularly large rock in my practice. And this talk was inspired by my realization that I'm not alone in this hindrance. 
this is a pretty widespread feeling that I'm not good enough. I want to be special because I'm not good enough. I'm good enough to be truly seen and accepted, to be cherished, to be worthy of someone's full attention. So we cut to the chase and say, okay, to be loved. There was a song that came out in 1992 from Radiohead called Creep that really brought this realization of how widespread this is home to me. I wanted to read some of the lyrics and this is a popular song. A lot of people resonated with this song. So here we go. When you were here before, couldn't look you in the eye. You're just like an angel. Your skin makes me cry. You float like a feather in a beautiful world. I wish I was special. You're so very special. But I'm a creep. I'm a weirdo. What the hell am I doing here? I don't belong here. I don't care if it hurts. I want to have control. I want a perfect body. I want a perfect soul. I want you to notice when I'm not around. So very special. I wish I was special. So, like I said, a lot of people really resonated with the pain of dissatisfaction, dukkha in this song. I want to be special. What I am is not good enough. I want you to notice when I'm not around. I want to have control. In the song, it's clear that perfection exists. Someone else has it, but not me. I'm something else, a weirdo. For me, the way this desire for connection manifests, the way that the pain in this song is manifested in me, is wanting to be the one and only, the best. This isn't a purely Zen hindrance, of course. Though when we see our entire life as our practice, I suppose it is. I certainly experienced this in my professional life. I'm a nurse practitioner in a small clinic and I need to be the nurse practitioner that all the patients want to see, <laughs> that knows the answers to all the questions that always knows which pill to give and which pill to stop. My present position as a nurse practitioner allows me to grapple with this hourly, every day. <laughs> I work with a highly competent, intelligent colleague who is gregarious and friendly and is the favorite of all the patients. 
After working together for six years in this clinic, she remains the one people want to see. His schedule is always full. The ache in me produced by my strong feeling of not being good enough is part of my each working day over and over. In my formal practice, the hindrance appears in my relationship with teachers and spiritual friends. Of course, I want to be the most enlightened, the most compassionate, the most knowledgeable in order to merit their attention and their authentic care. And as the corollary to wanting to be the best is not being good enough, which feels like an essential part of me, how can I possibly trust that their care is real and their words are not merely the words that come from their role. So this most special rock, this immovable block, prevents the thing I seek, the experience of connection with all things, all beings. And Zen practice itself can be a, a badge of specialness. I feel a tiny jolt of pride in my specialness whenever my meditation practice or my study of Zen becomes part of a conversation. I can imagine the other person in their head thinking, ooh, this is special. <laughs> but special is not the same as. It can be the best or it can be the worst, a weirdo, a creep but it's a judgment, evaluation. Peg has told me many times that the judging mind is the last mind to be relinquished. It gives me some hope. <laughs> Special is a wall around a self, a wall of roses or thorns, but isolating, self-reinforcing either way. And here's the medicine that Zen and Buddhism offer us. As the Metta Sutta says, not holding to fixed views. My picture of myself, of Anne, is a static snapshot taken as a much younger person, developed over time, but a very fixed idea. Holding to fixed views negates the possibility of any clear connection. It makes connection with each moment, each person, impossible. A fixed view has the answer already, knows what the outcome will be in each situation, in each moment of life. A fixed view is narrow and incomplete. Without a peripheral vision, without awareness of the vastness beyond human experience. Dogen in the Genjo Koan teaches, when you sail in a boat 
to the middle of the ocean where no land is in sight and view the four directions. The ocean looks circular and does not look any other way. But the ocean is neither round nor square. Its features are infinite in variety. It is like a palace. It is like a jewel. It only looks circular as far as you can see at the time. All things are like this. I recently participated in a workshop online with Victoria Austin, who's a teacher from San Francisco Zen Center. And the workshop was about love and power in relationship. And at one point she was speaking about the importance of responding versus reacting while relating to others. She instructed us to imagine being just good enough meditators. Not perfect, not highly skilled from long practice, not the best, just good enough. And my initial response was no, no, that's giving up. That's, I have to keep trying, trying. After a time of breathing and sitting, I was able to settle into a grounded, still mind. Her point being that response is able to arise from a place of comfort, from all rightness a grounded, sufficient place, constantly striving to be special or the best or something other than what is right now is painful. It's a tense and constantly vigilant state, always judging, not quite good enough yet. There's a Zen koan about response. A monk asked Yun Min, what is the teaching of an entire lifetime? Yun Men replied, an appropriate response. Cultivating and resting in just good enough allows the arising of an appropriate response, the fruit of the teachings of an entire lifetime. I have a wonderful poem about this and the feeling, the feeling engendered by sitting with just good enough. It's by a poet named Juan Ramon Jimenez. I have a feeling that my boat has struck down there in the depths against a great thing and nothing happens, nothing, silence, waves, nothing happens, or has everything happened, and we are standing now quietly in the new life. Buddhism's other remedy for needing to be special, a better, perfect self, is known as the three marks of existence. 
anatta or emptiness, no abiding self. Anika, impermanence, the constancy of change in everything. And dukkha, the dissatisfaction caused by the first two and our clinging to a separate distinct self and our desire for permanence. Opening mind and heart to the teachings of impermanence and the subsequent delusion of an abiding, knowable, changeless self loosens the grip of the stories of myself, me, special, not good enough, better than, you, and, not in. The cultivation of this awareness can provide great relief from the pain of separation and judgment. So back to the arroyo, a dry creek bed, that's a jumble of heavy, solid things keeping me from moving forward up the path. Turns out the path is created by the hindrances. All those boulders, blockages, things that get in the way of our travel to becoming whole human beings are the Dharma gates that mark our way. They direct us where to look, what to notice, where to turn. Like a wonderful hike in the wilderness, sometimes a slog, sometimes a dance. We find our way, each of us, created by our own lives. Thank you. So I'm not sure what time it is. It's 10.20. Good, we have lots of time for, for reactions and questions and things that have come up. So, oh, thank you, thank you very much. Um, if anybody has anything they wanted to say, Kim. So it's, it's always my intention to be a perfect timekeeper. <laughs> and I was so happy this morning because the first bell I rang was kind of a double bell, and, I, and it was like a relief. Like, <laughs> Got that out of the way. <laughs> I could just be me. And it connects to what you were saying, yeah. Victoria Austin, whatever. Yeah. Is that her name? Victoria yeah, Victoria Austin. Yeah. Um, so so it, it really is a relief not having to be perfect. Yeah. Yeah, and then you can be really present to what happens instead of being really caught up about, let's get this right. And I think it's that carefulness that screws up the bell. Yeah. Yeah, the sort of idea in my head of what is it supposed to be like instead of, I wonder what this will be like. Just hitting the bell. Yeah. 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 Yes. Uh, we have Lynn online. Yeah, welcome. Hey, Lynn. Am I muted? No. Okay. Yeah, and you know, and I'm I'm the one that never talks, so this is a big deal. <laughs> Thank you. Up, and I'm first, at least from those of us on the screen. I just that was so profound. I just wanted to react, respond, whatever, to what you just said, and and your delivery. 
I have to hear it again to take notes. I took I took notes. But I have to take better notes. I will hear it again. All I can say is thank you. That was delivered from your heart. It was absolutely. Uh, I can't even think of the right adjectives right now. It was just profound, and just deep, deep gratitude for that. Thank you so much. I will tell you that I was in the midst of writing this and for a long time. Um, and at several points last night, I thought, I cannot get this to flow. I cannot, I can't do this. I can't do this. Nobody wants to hear this. I'm going to take a book and I'm going to do a reading from somebody who knows what they're talking about. It flowed. It flowed. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Lynn. We have Genève. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you, Anne. That was so beautiful and felt and resonant. Um, and I'm at a loss for words, but I have been thinking about, well, my first thought is the quote that's sometimes attributed to Voltaire, maybe an old Italian saying that perfect is the enemy of good. And I have this notion that imperfection is where true compassion and love come into play. And um, the brokenness and, and stumbling and mortality are where love is most needed. Mm. And also this notion that we need to be special in order to be cherished. I think I want to tease those two ideas apart from each other. Because when I love someone, I love their themness, mm -hmm. not because they're special, but because they have a you know a crooked tooth <laughs> that comes out when they smile, you know, or 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 a, or a cowlick that comes up at a funny angle because it's who they are, mm -hmm. and it's their themness that I cherish, and I don't desire them to be more or better or something, in order to be profoundly and completely loved. Mm -hmm. And I'm struggling with, um, there's this, in R Women Who Run With the Wolves, there's a story called Skeleton Woman. It's an Inuit story. And um, it involves a, a fisherman who catches a huge fish on his hook and thinks, oh my gosh, I'm going to be, you know, big man on campus. I'm going to have the biggest fish. I'll be able to be generous. People will come to me. I'll look great. And then it turns out that he pulls up a skeleton and he's all tangled up in the line so he can't get away from the skeleton. And he's absolutely petrified. And he runs, he goes to the shore, he runs to his home, the, the bones follow him all the way and they fall in a, in a heap on the floor and he falls asleep. And then he wakes up and he realizes the humanity in these bones and he begins to weep and the tears bring this beautiful woman to life who um, 
who is the embodiment of love. And it's the notion that we can only, we're only truly loving when we see our mortality in someone else and we embrace it. And mm -hmm. I think what I'm struggling with the most is the idea that I see my own mortality and love myself in that moment. Mm. Mortality meaning all the limitations, all the failings, all the stumblings, all the ugliness, you know, um, the struggles, the ways in which I'm not who I wish I were, um, and the ways I fear. So thank you. It was very deeply moving, and yeah, it was a, a wonderful story. I love that image of the man and all of this pride and all this specialness, and he's pulling this thing up and it's bones. I just love that. And you can't get away from it. It's all tangled up. Yeah. Yeah, what you were saying about um, why, or not maybe why you love someone, but that the fact of imperfection doesn't keep you from loving someone. And it reminds me of that saying that's attributed to um, Shinryu Suzuki Roshi, that you're perfect just the way you are and you could use a little improvement. Yeah. So thank you for that. Thank you. We have Joel next. Hey, Joel. Thank you for unmuting me, Maria. Um, <laughs> and I, I, like Lynn, will need to go back and listen to this talk. Uh, it was beautifully paced. It was beautifully formed. And the, the way in which you moved from the, the problem that you had posited to the resolution in, in the teachings of the Buddha. It was very moving. Uh, I also was mostly moved, very deeply moved, by, that, by the story you told of coming up against not being chosen mm. work, you know, not being the one that people turn to, and, you're, and, and how you bump up against that desire over and over again. That's something I, I will say that strongly resonated with me. Mm. But it occurred to me later in your talk that that fit with the, the quotation from Dogen. If you're out in the ocean, <laughs> far away from land, everything looks like a circle. Yeah. And if you are stuck with this autonomic nervous system thing, yeah. It has to do with survival of wanting to be chosen that creeps in and then colors everything in your adult life. Yeah. Uh, that's all you can see. Yeah. I, 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 I really, I really felt that, you know, and I really felt the truth of that, of that metaphor in relation to what you were saying. Mm -hmm. That it's, that it's, Okay, you're not being chosen right now, but maybe you are in other areas of your life. 
unfortunately you can't see them right now because they're over the horizon right 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 they're over the horizon of what your brain chemicals are doing to you right now you know yes. so i it's a beautiful talk thank you so much and and um i just appreciate it thank you well thank you that means a lot from such a wonderful speaker as yourself and that i see what you're saying about the ocean metaphor and that's that's very helpful i see really the truth of that and i'll tell you you were saved a phone call at about 11 o'clock last night <laughs> saying joel what should i do <laughs> this isn't working <laughs> I knew I could have called you, but you were saved. <laughs> um, I I heard it. I was on a phone call with Flint earlier this week, in which he said essentially the same thing that he, <laughs> that he worries and uh, tries to put things together, and then and realizes that he he doesn't do very well with trying to put things together oh. until until his time mm. that you know Aaron Aaron watches him worry and says don't things usually work out <laughs> he, yeah he has to admit that that even in his mind they do usually work out wow that's interesting you, you, that is that is something to rest in mm. Yeah, thank you. And we have Nelda next. Hey, Nelda. Good morning, Anne. Good morning, everyone. Uh, I won't repeat everything everyone else said, although I feel all of that fully. I what is sitting in my body right now most is the tremendous awareness that tremendous reminder you gave us about how pervasive the feeling of not belonging is mm -hmm. in our in us individually and collectively um for whatever reasons for whatever stories we tell ourselves or others tell us about ourselves and the world. I've been um, watching bits and pieces of the trial, actually the victim statements of, mm. of a school shooter. And there's, there's the victims, and I, I understand where they're coming from. They've lost loved ones, children, wives, husbands, sisters, brothers are filled with so much anger and so much judgment. And I watched this young man sit there and take all of this. Mm. And it feels quite brutal to me about how so many are telling him he does not belong. And yet there was young one, one young woman who got up and talked beautifully from her heart about how she sat with him next to him, sometimes a few seats away in class, mm. watched him and always wished for him belonging and a feeling of love mm. and knowing how much she was sitting there caring 
And even despite the fact that he had so brutally murdered her boyfriend, the love of her life, her high school, you know, that first love sweetheart, she poured compassion and a sense of belonging onto him um, that I was on the verge of tears. And I was like, that's who I want to be, right? I don't want to be me. I want to be that person. So in that moment, I feel like I'm not good enough. I need to practice more. So thank you for the reminder that so many of us, be it pervasively, be it at moments, all carry a sense of not belonging for one reason or another or another. And, I, and, and we do, we wouldn't be here if we didn't. We're all part, not part, yes, we are all one. It's all one big belonging with all its divergent parts, even if we don't um, fully like in our judgments, some of them. Mm -hmm. Thank Thank you. Thank you. You know, when you were speaking, it really brought up for me a part of the medicine for that illness of not belonging, of not being good enough, is reaching out to other people, providing that for someone else. Um, I think it's such a strong way to be in the world yeah um, and to know that everybody feels that at one point or another yes yeah it's what we share yeah and we also all share the desire to belong the desire to help others belong yes yes that yes yeah, so thank you. We have Rosemary next, unless there's someone in the Zendo that would like to go to, because we haven't been, okay. I am, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, this resonates with me a lot, the not good enough, and and translates exactly the same way. I have to be special and and sometimes I have to be best or I have to be first. Um, so um, I've been reading Joko Beck, um, Ordinary Wonder and this core belief thing. And that's I realized that, you know, this is it. That's my core belief. When I can, I question that and say, well, well, wait a minute. What if that's not true? What if, you know, OK. I'm not good enough. Well, wait a minute. What if it's just not? What if it's just not true? That's helpful at times, but it's very powerful. The the um, inappropriate response to <laughs> I'm not good enough um, is there very very frequently. I recently had um, an opportunity to sing with some choral members that I used to sing with, and. Um, we put together a little recital for um, another choral member who for decades um, was like our manager. She got us our scores and our schedules and very thankless job that she did wonderfully and now is in assisted living. Mm -hmm. So in getting together with these singers, it was 
okay, am I good enough? Um, and um, I, I really worked on it because it was pretty painful getting involved again. Anyway, the idea that this was an offering for this woman mm. and just shifting it um, to her um, helped very, very much. I just kind of took a back seat. You know, I, I know how to sing. Some of us are better than others and that's just how it is. And the nice thing about a chorus is it comes out okay because we're all <laughs> singing together. Um, and, um, but that, you know, it's a, it's a constant struggle um, to question, question that core belief. So this was, you know, and I, I just appreciated um, your um, being so um, vulnerable in what you shared. Um, and it was, it was beautiful, beautifully flowing. Um, <laughs> but I also appreciate what might've been going on as you're putting it together. Like, it's just not, just not good enough. Not working. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. When you were talking about taking a back seat, that's, that's a great expression for this particular situation. You know, that, yeah, just sit in the back seat. I know Todd talks to me about like core beliefs are, are messages we have and, and our practice helps us at the beginning, the message is inside my head, not good enough. We need to be special. And then with more practice, it's in a chair on the other side of the room, not good enough. And then it's in another room. And finally, it's in a house across the street and you can hear it and see the person talking, but it's not having the same effect. Yeah. And I also was really touched by the idea of kind of what Nelda brought up for me is that in succumbing to that feeling, succumbing to that story, that mind habit, we deny other people access to us. We deny other people what there is for us to give them. We deny that connection because I deny that connection because I'm so caught up in, well, this isn't going to be the right thing. I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. Yeah. So that's another aspect that thank you for reminding me. Thank you. So that looks like it. So, oh, Joan, I'm sorry. That's right. Do we have time? What time is it? Do we have time? Um, you know, I, I have all these thoughts. Uh, is what I have to offer good enough? You know, <laughs> for this, because the offerings have been so wonderful, what all the people have said. Uh, I have so many thoughts. It's just brought up so much. Um, Genev, talking about how vulnerability helps us really be relatable make it where others can feel like touching us uh, and um i think of brene brown who um is from the university of houston that um flint introduced us to and her whole thing is about vulnerability and that is how we connect 
And I personally am always trying to be perfect. And that, that's produced a wall between me and others. Yeah. And uh, when you talked about that other person always being chosen, yeah. I just, my heart just broke open with compassion. Mm. And this is something that I personally am trying to be at that place. Yeah. And you offering that got me to where I wanted to be. Mm. You know, what yeah. I'm trying to uh, get to my compassion so that I can connect with people more. And there it was. And um, one other thing, talking about being just good enough. One time I was talking to Peg, and I don't know what was going on or what my question was, but I was really struggling. And she said, just don't make things worse. <laughs> And I went, yeah, you know, if I just don't make things worse, if I make things better, that's a bonus. Right. But if I just don't make things worse, that is a contribution. Yeah. And so thank you for all your, your thoughts brought up in all of this. so much. Oh, well, thank you all. This has been very, um, very nice.